Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Today, the title of the message is, Everyone Worships Something. And you may, that may be a challenge to you. But during our time today of worship, of singing, did you sing? Were you focused on Jesus? Were you distracted by something? Did your mind wander? Did you meditate on the words of the songs or just kind of sing them mindlessly? And like Pastor Joe said, although he doesn't consider himself to have a, a good trained singing voice, he sings in his heart. And that's what the Lord is asking all of us to do. I read a book several years ago by A.W. Tozer, a pastor and author, and it was called Whatever Happened to Worship. And he writes, Jesus was born of a virgin. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He died on the cross and rose from the grave to make worshipers out of rebels. That's each and every one of us. And he has done it all through grace. We are the recipients of that grace. In other words, we were created to worship God. He has put that desire into each and every one of us. It's in our DNA. Jesus died on the cross in order to reconcile us back to God. And our worship should be a response to his work on the cross to save us. The big question for us is whether we will take that desire and focus it on the one who was worthy of our worship. Because we can, we do have the choice we can offer that worship to someone or to something else. Who or what will we worship? Worship comes from a compound word, worthship. In other words, the feeling or expression of reverence or adoration for a deity. The worship of God. We understand that. It's when we ascribe worthiness to God in any way. It is considered worship. The acts or rites that make up formal expression of reverence for a deity, a religious ceremony or ceremonies, these are all included as a definition biblically of worship. And you may hear the sentence, the church was open for public worship, or we invite you out for our worship services. So this is an expression that we use. So we ascribe worthiness to God, and it's considered worship. The word worship is used 112 times in the New King James Version of the Bible. And it's defined this way, to bow down, to prostrate oneself. And it could be before a superior, before God, or even before false gods, or even before an angel. In the Greek... It means to kneel or prostrate oneself in order to express respect. And it could be to the Jewish high priests or to God or to Christ, to heavenly beings or even to demons. So you see, there's a wide range in the definitions for worship and in the application for worship. 
But know this, we will all worship something. We will all worship something. Romans 12.1 in the New King James says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, but I like the New Living Translation. It's kind of a paraphrase, and it explains it a little bit in a way that we can understand it. Paul writes, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. So our reasonable, our reasonable service, our reasonable response to Him is worship. That's what Paul is telling us here. With regard to God, He desires worship from all people, but it should be in a, done in a way that honors Him. And this should encompass all of our lives, not just in what we kind of uh, define worship as in just singing. But what does the Bible say? about worship. It tells us that worship involves sacrifice. It's about giving God our best. It's about giving Him everything that we have in everything that we do. But that sacrifice that we give shouldn't be something that we consider like earning God's favor or working for his approval because that's not something that we do as Christians because even there's there's even a good work that has bad motives that doesn't glorify God right in 1 Corinthians 3 Paul writes for no other foundation can anyone lay than which is laid which is Jesus Christ now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold silver precious stones wood hay straw each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it. God will judge our motives. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work what sort it is. God tests our motives. He wants to know what's in our heart and anything and everything that we do. When we serve others, is it because of worship or because of some self-satisfaction that we gain from it? If it's because we want to worship the Lord, God accepts it and He's glorified by it. When we serve others with self-centered motives, God looks upon that as wood, hay, and straw. There's really no eternal value in that. Although it may help others here, God's looking for something greater from us. He's looking for our hearts. God calls us to serve others and to do it as we worship Him. When we do both together, this world would be a much, much better place. We should be, we should be worshiping the Lord in everything we do. Our focus should be on God, even as we serve others. And worship also involves obedience, right? In Exodus 20, it says, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. So you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. So worship is reserved for God. And for God alone. It's a commandment of God. That 
word for bow down in verse 5 of Exodus 20 is worship. That's how we worship the Lord. For you shall worship no other God. The Lord for whose name is jealous. God is a jealous God. You know, when we hear that, we kind of cringe a little bit because when we think of jealousy, we think of an ugly emotion. You know, we think of when people show jealousy or they're envious of someone or something else. And we don't view that as very attra- as a very attractive thing, a very appealing thing. But God says that he's a jealous God. God is the only one. Do you know that God is the only one who can be jealous without sinning? When we're jealous, we sin. But God is jealous for us. He is jealous for a relationship with us. But he doesn't force it on anyone to love and obey him. But the outcome of that, when we do, it blesses him. And we can misdirect our worship. Right? We can direct it towards a great preacher or a great worship leader or some some other person or thing. But worship should be directed to God and no one else. It says in First Chronicles, Give to the Lord the glory, do His name, bring an offering and come before Him. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Worship involves acknowledging His holiness. Did you know that? When you worship the Lord, when you're, when you're singing praises to Him, let's say, on a Sunday morning, you're praising Him for His holiness. You're praising Him that He's set, a, set apart. Set apart from anything and everything that is sinful. You know, when we look around us in the world, we see sin, we see tragedy, we see, we see people not treating one another the way they're supposed to. We see the, the outpouring of sin in this world. Because we're a broken people. But when we look at God, when we know His character, we know that He is sinless. He is totally set apart from that. You know, when we look at it, even when we look at another person who's devoted and who, and who really is trying to do what's right in God's eyes, it's appealing to us. But imagine how much more a sinless God deserves our praise and our worship. As Christians, we should pursue holiness in everything that we do. We'll never be completely sinless. But our prayer as we grow in our relationship with God is that each and and every day we will sin less. And that's how we grow in holiness. First Peter says, but he who called you is holy. And you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Perfect holiness for us is not attainable in this life because we still have a sin nature, right? That rears its ugly head and we're called, but, but we're called to aspire to holiness. And we respond to the beauty of God's holiness with worship, right? Because it's something that we should be in awe, in awe of. We worship God in spirit and in truth, right? It says in John 4, but the hour is coming and now is 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. We know this story too. It's it's in John chapter 4, and it's the... It's the encounter of Jesus Christ with this woman at the well. The first part of that, uh, the woman says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. The woman at the well with whom Jesus was speaking was confused about worship. She thought it was at a certain place, at a certain time, within certain rituals and ceremonies. And a lot of people today are also confused about worship, right? She thought that worship was all about a place. You may think that you can't worship the Lord unless you're here at church, at a service. But God wants your worship each and every day, whether you're here or you're not. You know, you could be here But your heart isn't here. God would have you, rather have you worship Him on the car on the way to work than to come here without your heart being truly in it, right? So we worship Him in in spirit and in truth. When we worship in spirit, it's spirit-led. It's spirit-inspired. And as a worship team, we know when we're just going through the motions... We, we know, we can sense it. Or when God's Spirit is in it, and we pray each and every time before we, before we rehearse, before we do sound check, before we have a service, every time we get together, we pray that God's Spirit would indwell us and empower us to worship Him in, in spirit, in spirit. It's Spirit-led and Spirit-inspired. And now we start to talk about emotions, right? Emotions also come into this aspect of worship because it's something that we're expressing to God. The emotion of love, the emotion of gratitude we express to the Lord. So that comes into this spiritual part of our worship. But at at all times, not only in our worship services, But at all times, we need to make sure that our emotions are under control, right? Because one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. You know, Paul writes about this uh, to the Corinthian church, that their worship was out of order. That when they gathered together, there would be one person speaking and another person speaking and someone would sing from over here and there there'd be a, a prophecy and there'd be a tongue and no interpretation and... And imagine somebody coming into that scene, right, and saying, what's wrong with these people? They're not even orderly in what they do. They don't, they're, it's confusing. And so Paul spoke about that. So we can't let our emotions uh, get in, in front of what God wants to do in our worship time. But it does involve emotions. I know a lot of Christians believe that Feelings is a four-letter word that we need to kind of leave our emotions out the outside the church doors, and we come in here and we're kind of somber and we're serious, and uh, we never show emotions. There's never any joy or 
or anything like that. But that's not what God wants. He wants all of us. You know, when we're singing up here, we want to express to you the joy that we, that we feel in praising the Lord. And we want you to be a part of it, too. You, you should want to express that same thing to God as you're lifting your voices to Him. Think about all that He's done for us. Think about the fact that He's drawing you to Himself today. And doesn't that give you reason to be joyful and, and, and uh, thankful for who He is? And then we worship in truth, right? We worship in truth. True worship, true worship is based on the truth of the Scriptures. That's what we use as kind of our hymnal. And that's what we use as we choose songs. Our songs need to be biblically accurate. And sometimes, I know when I first got saved, it was amazing to me. I'd sing a song and then I'd go home and I'd start reading through the Bible and I'd say, wow, that song we sang came right from this portion of Scripture. How awesome is that? That we're actually singing the Word of God sometimes in our worship. Our, our worship songs should be biblically accurate. Even if they don't express the actual words of the Scriptures, the, the idea and the, and the intent is there. And so that's very, very important. So worshiping in spirit and in truth is all about yielding to God's Spirit. In other words, allowing Him to be part of what we do. Allowing Him to come in and to, and to help us express love and gratitude to God. And then trusting in the truth of the Word in every aspect of our life. But worship alone, worship in spirit alone, and worship in truth alone is not really what God prescribes. Because worshiping in spirit, right, apart from the truth, can get us off track can cause disorder and confusion. And we'll just be taken away by our emotions. But worship in truth alone, apart from the Spirit, can be very dry, can be very dead. And God doesn't want that either. So that's why it's, it's always perfect when God's Word comes together, which it always does. He wants us to worship in Spirit and in truth. We bring those two things together and a beautiful thing happens when the Spirit of God compels us to worship and we respond with faith. And as we grow in the grace and knowledge of Him, we'll respond with a heart of worship. So worship is both internal, right? It starts in our hearts um, as we as we when we have a relationship with the Lord, when we receive Jesus as our Savior, He indwells us with the Spirit. And so our worship starts internally. And then just like anything else, we, we desire to express that in some way, right? It starts in our hearts and then it's expressed in externally in, in a lot of different ways in our lives, right? So... We talked about the internal aspects of worship. We're going to now talk about kind of the external. That expression of worship that we give to the Lord. 
Now, the external can never be the primary thing, right? It's our, it's our hearts that are right with God. It's our hearts that are aligned with Him. It's our hearts that are devoted to Him. That is the basis and the foundation for our worship. You remember the Pharisees had all the right rituals. They sang the right songs. They knew the proper gestures and wore the right garments. Everything externally was perfect, but their hearts were not aligned with Jesus, right? Jesus says in Matthew 15, These people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. There is such a thing as vain or empty worship. There is such a thing. If your heart is not aligned with God, your worship is vain. When we gather together on a Sunday or a Wednesday, our worship needs to be from a sincere heart. It needs to be an overflow of what God's doing in our hearts. Okay, so we talked about the internal, we talked about the external. So one of the, one of the external expressions of worship and kind of the one in Christian circles that, that we kind of think of when we say the word worship is music, right? So remember, our worship starts internally in the heart and then it's expressed externally with our whole being. Music is the external expression we most commonly refer to as worship. In in Psalm 95, David writes, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Right? King David authored most of the Psalms. And he exhorts us to sing to the Lord. And so when you come together on a Sunday or a Wednesday or if we have a special event, sometimes we have a night of worship, you're exhorted, you're encouraged to lift your voices and sing to the rock of your salvation. But music in the church, like a lot of things, is not without controversy, right? I know that uh, at Calvary Chapel... Uh, we commit a time at the beginning of each service for worship, for music. And I know most of you think it's my 15-minute buffer to get an extra cup of coffee or stop at Starbucks on the way to church, but it's not. It's your time to join us in a time of worship and praise. It's to prepare our hearts for the teaching of the Word. It's an opportunity for us to gather together jointly and in his presence to sing a song to God, to worship him with our voices. Psalm 150, speaking of the controversy of music in the church sometimes, Psalm 150 tells us that we should praise the Lord, that we should praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty firmament, praise him for his mighty acts, Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of a trumpet. Praise Him with a lute and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Tommy? (laughs) Praise Him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. 
Praise the Lord. Okay, so look, a lot of people have opinions about music, right? Some have even left churches. There have been church splits because there was a disagreement about the music or the style or something that, something that only hymns should be sung in the church, right? Now, some think that guitars and drums are of the devil. And I loved what David wrote here. He speaks about praising the Lord with everything we have. Amen? I think of it this way. I think the drums or the guitar or any other instrument or whatever, there's no morality or, or immorality assigned to these. They're, they're inanimate ob- objects. They're things that, they're tools that we use to maybe enhance our worship. And, you know, maybe there's somebody who can play the drums but can't sing. And this is their expression of giving back to the Lord because the Lord has given a gift or a talent. Whatever you have, if it's using them to enhance our worship, God is well pleased with that. So we sing songs in in the church, in this church, that express many aspects of our relationship with God. Some express our uh, praising Him, right? No matter what our circumstances. And we all know that we go through things each and every week. We have ups and downs. And we may not feel like praising God. But the Bible tells us that we should praise Him no matter what. That we, we should rejoice in all things. Right? Be thankful for everything, Paul writes. Uh, one of the songs that we sing is Blessed Be Your Name. A lot of this song kind of comes from the book of Job. And it's it speaks about praising the Lord no matter what. Right? The Chorus says, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. So it's saying, God, you've blessed me. I'm going to respond with praise and worship for who you are. And then he, and then the, the songwriter writes, when the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be your name. So whether we're feeling blessed by God or we're feeling like we're really going through a difficult time, what do we do? We praise the Lord. Some express the reason why we even gather together. Right? The song we sing, Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. This is how we express to God why we're gathered together. It's not just a social gathering. You're, he's the number one focus. He's the object of everything we do. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful. God, you're everything to us. As we sing these songs, understand that this is an expression of our hearts to Him. Some of them tell about the the worthiness of God to receive worship. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain for us, the Son of God and man. You're high and lifted up. And all the world will praise your great name. All the world will praise your great name. So the three songs that I just referred to were written within the last 15 or 20 years. They each have a strong biblical content. And they kind of fit in to the parameters that we use in choosing songs. And some of the, some of the things that we discussed today. I believe that as God inspired David to write psalms and Solomon, who wrote over a thousand songs, some of which are in the Bible, 
I, I think God also has inspired the hymn writers over the centuries to write hymns. I believe that he continues to inspire people today to write praise and worship songs for him. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He continues to desire worship from his people. As a worship pastor, we pull from all of these sources. We sing some scripture songs. We sing some hymns. We sing them, sometimes we sing them in a traditional style. So if you've come from a traditional church that sang hymns in a traditional style, many times you'll hear a song that you're familiar with. Sometimes we'll even do hymns in a more updated style. But they still reflect that same sentiment of the hymn writer. And we kind of want to connect modern worship, contemporary worship with the things of the past. We don't want to ever forget those things, how God has inspired people in the past to write beautiful music to Him. But is that the only criteria we use? Is that, is that how we choose our songs? Well, if they were hymns, then we sing them. If they're modern worship songs and they're biblically accurate, then we sing them and then we kind of stop searching or we stop critiquing. Well, no, that's not really what we do. And I'm going to kind of let you in on some of the discussions that we've had in this church recently, probably over the last six months, um, quite frequently. We've discussed this as pastors, as worship team members, and we've really seriously given this a lot of consideration. You see, as pastors, our job is to teach the Bible and to protect the flock. And we are charged by God with certain duties and responsibilities that we take very seriously. Paul writes to his young protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. This is kind of the responsibility of, of a pastor, of an overseer. For the time will come, why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, heap up, uh, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to fables. I believe the time has come. And I believe Paul, as he wrote back then, the time was then too. Because there were many false teachers and even in that time. They saw the success of the early church. They saw the crowds that they brought in. And false teachers would come in and they would want that for themselves too. But I believe the time has come now that people are turning aside from the truth. They're waiting for something that makes their ears itch, that sounds good, that makes them feel good. There are false teachers today who desire to build their empires instead of teaching the truth. And some of those teachers oversee very, very large organizations which include as part of their domain music, music divisions of some of these false teachers. One of the guiding principles that we've incorporated into our choice of 
of music is that if the leader of an organization behind the music is a false teacher, then we're not going to use the music either. Amen? Now, this may rub some people the wrong way. There may be songs that they listen to that they like, and they may now be understanding that we're not going to use those songs anymore. But we've decided, and this is not something that we've done without giving it much prayer, much thought, much consideration. From Pastor Joe all the way down, through everybody that makes these decisions. Bill Johnson, the pastor of Bethel Church in Redding, California. Now, many of you know Bethel music. Many of uh, you sing their songs. As a matter of fact, we sang their songs for years. Um, he writes in a book called When Heaven Invades Earth that Jesus performed miracles, wonders, and signs as a man in right relationship with God, not as God. Listen to that. That's a pastor of a mainline, very, very popular, very large Christian church or organization. Jesus performed miracles, wonders, and signs as a man in right relationship with God, not as God, denying the divinity and the deity of Christ. If he performed miracles because he was God, then we would it would be unattainable for us. What he's saying is that... If Jesus could do it as a man, then we can do it. Well, we're not God. I hate to burst anyone's bubble. We are not Jesus Christ. We're not talking here about some, you know, some minor theological differences that we might have with a, with a church or a denomination. These are kind of non-negotiables, right? The deity of Jesus Christ. First, Second Corinthians 11, Paul writes, For if he who, come, who comes preaches another Jesus, who we have not preached, or if you have received a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. What, what Paul is writing here is he was really concerned that the Corinthian church was going to be pulled away by these false teachers. He says, you may put up with it. It may sound good to you. It may even sound a little bit like the truth. But a little bit of truth mixed with a lot of lie is, is a lie. And that's what Paul was trying to warn them about back then. You may well put up with it. He also goes on to say in that verse, For such are false apostles deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. There's a, there is a not so new, maybe 10 years old, a new, a newer movement called the New Apostolic Reformation. And Bethel Church is part of that movement, as are some others. And this preaches what Paul speaks against here transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. What he's saying here is that God is now working in the lives of certain men and women 
to perform miracles, signs, and wonders, to be apostles like the first century apostles were. And he's doing it through their ministry. And this is clearly against the Scriptures. So this is called the New Apostolic Reformation. He preaches it from, uh, they preach it from their pulpits. They go to large conferences. Uh, if any of you have looked up IHOP conference, it's a conglomeration of New Apostolic Reformation teachers who teach this false doctrine. And out of them comes some of this music. Out of them comes some of this music. Some preach a prosperity gospel, right? As in Hillsong. Hillsong preaches that God wants us to be perfectly healthy and wealthy. And if we're not, we just don't have enough faith. You know, I think I always think of the scriptures that speaks about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Paul wrote concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, okay, Paul, I'll take that thorn from your flesh. No, he didn't say that. He said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Why? For, why, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen? What Paul is saying here is, Lord, I, I pleaded with you to take this away from me, but you didn't. But you know what? Your grace is sufficient, Lord. And, and you're above all. Whatever your decision in my life, I'm good with it, God. Because even when I'm weak, I'm strong in you, Paul is saying. Did the Apostle Paul not have enough faith to take away that thorn in the flesh? I think not. One more, one more organization that I'll mention today, and I told Pastor Joe I was going to name names, and he said, go for it. <clears throat> I think it's important, though, that you understand that this is not an esoteric thing. This is not a philosophy. This is specific. It is a philosophy, but also is very specific. So Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church, and again, we do some, we, we did <laughs> some of their songs. <clears throat> um, they have a music division which puts out many popular contemporary songs. And he preached from his pulpit that the law was ineffective at redeeming mankind. So God had to break the law in order to save us. Now Paul writes about this too, because people were confused. But Paul writes that the, the law is perfect. The law is perfect. It's our Inability because of our sin nature to fulfill the law. And Jesus said, I didn't, I came to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. So if the law was perfect, then why would it need to be abolished? Why would God have to break it in order to, in order to save us? But that puts God in the category of a sinner, doesn't it? If he broke the law. See, this isn't small differences, folks. This is major stuff. So we've made a decision. I'm kind of letting you into our current thought process here. We've made a decision as a ministry, as a church, as a worship ministry, not to do songs from these 
artists anymore. So you may not hear some of the songs that you're used to hearing. Um, you may not see some of the songs that you used to seeing us, us perform, us, us do here, and invite you in to worship with us, which is another part of that. You see, because it's, it's not just that, you know, we sing songs and they kind of, and they're off theologically or, or something like that, but singing songs from these organizations or these groups means that we endorse them, right? And that we're willing to promote their music and their ministries. And by extension, the church is behind them with, with, with that false teaching. So think about it. We do a song by Bethel. You like it. You go buy their CD or download their music. You're supporting that false teaching, right? We're leading you in, we're leading you astray when we do that. And we've determined not to do that. Some singing songs from some of these groups means we're willing to contribute to their financial progress. Imagine your tithe money going to false teachers. That's kind of what it is. Because when we, you see, we're, we're covered, we're governed by certain laws. Um, you think churches are, uh, exempt from all laws, but we're not. We're covered by, we're governed by certain laws, certain copyright laws. That when we do a song in a church, I don't know if you noticed, when we put up the title slide, um, it has some information down on the bottom of the slide. And that tells you the, uh, that gives you all the copyright information. So when we do a song, um, when we did a song by Bethel, for instance, it'll say Bethel Music on the bottom and all the copyright information. We have to do that. And then periodically, we get audited and they want to know over a course of like six months what songs we're doing. What that does is because we pay a subscription to be able to use these songs in the church, even display them up on the screen, we pay a subscription as a church uh, then they, let's say we use uh, Bethel songs 10 times over the course of six months, there's a certain percentage of money that goes to that ministry. So it's very important that we step back a little bit and not just listen to all of the, uh, you know, all of the familiar songs that are out there or whatever we hear on the radio or whatever has a, a good hook to it. Or whatever, but we have to go further than that. Singing these songs from these groups is a deliberate willingness on our part to compromise our theology, which we're not willing to do here. You're in a safe place when it comes to that. So we use discern, we're gonna start to use discernment more and more as we choose songs or groups to support. We want you to do that also. So as you listen to this music, Think about where it comes from. Do a little research. You hear something on so-called Christian radio or you buy so-called Christian music and you know you want to consider what who you're supporting with your money. Parents, don't just assume that if your kids hear something on uh, again so-called Christian radio that it's good. You need to use discernment. You need to use wisdom. And to the teens and young adults that are here today, start to do that on your own. 
Start to think about what you're listening to and the, and the ministries that are behind it and the, and possibly the false teaching that goes along with that. And if you are willing to support that with your money. But we are, we are admonished. We are, we are exhorted throughout scripture to worship the Lord, aren't we? It says in Psalm 98, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Break forth in song, rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of a psalm, with trumpets and the sound of a horn. Shout joyfully before the Lord the King. Let the sea roar in all of its fullness. Let the world and those who dwell in it, the rivers clap their hands and the hills be joyful together before the Lord. You know, so we're, we're kind of joining all of creation, right? When we lift our voices, when we lift our hands, to the, to the Lord. When we gather together, it should sound like the seas roaring. It should sound, it should sound like thunder going up to heaven. And we join in with all creation to do that. Paul writes to the, to the Colossian church, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts, to the Lord. When we sing, it's a witness. It's a witness. When we lift our voices, it's a testimony to the, to those around us and to God of gratitude and love and thankfulness for who He is and what He's done. And maybe somebody walks in off the street and joins us at service one day and they look around and they see all of these people lifting their voices to the Lord and they wonder, what is going on here? It's an awesome witness to even the unsaved, to those who don't know the Lord, who aren't familiar with what we do. But you might be here today and you might say, listen, I... It was a great teaching on worship. I got a really good sense of what worship is all about according to the Bible and, and, uh, and even some of the trouble in the, in the church, uh, in music in the church. But I'm not a Christian. And I'm one who just came in today off the street or was invited by somebody out and how does this really apply to me? Because I'm not, this is not kind of in my wheelhouse. This is not something I think about that often. Well, I'm glad you asked. So the title, the title of today's message is Everyone Worships Something. And you may still not be sure about that. About whether everyone worships something. You may still reserve that for church people, right? And that's that's okay. But I think I've laid out a pretty good case for whatever you give your time to, right? Whatever give, you give your attention to, your love, your money, your devotion, whatever you give all of yourself to is really what you're worshiping. And God wants it to be Him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward, but we're going to show a video as they come up. Everyone worships. 
sure not everyone wants to call it worship or even think about what they're doing. But everyone worships something. Everyone has some ultimate thing that they center their life around. Something or someone that they hope will give their life meaning or purpose. For some, it's religion. For others, it's money. For some, it's fun. For others, it's success or power. Or science or knowledge. Or beauty. Or popularity. For some, it's love or sex. For some, it's their family. But the Bible says, all things were made by Jesus and for Jesus. This means we were created to worship, but there is only one who is really worthy of our worship. That's why nothing else in this world satisfies We keep on looking, we keep on striving, we keep on buying, but nothing delivers. Nothing brings us that deep satisfaction that we long for. But when you live your life with Jesus as the center, you're doing exactly what you're created to do. You're right in the place you're supposed to be. So the irony is that when we give our lives over to worship Jesus, that's when we actually find ourselves. Everyone worships. But we were made to worship just one. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Let's let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us, Lord. And maybe there are some here today who have not yet made that decision to reach out to you, Lord, as you're reaching out to them. To make that decision for Christ. You've been listening to to every generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.